Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for Tim with Tim. I'm a pastor in South Central Kentucky, and we just take about 10 minutes each day to go verse by verse through the Word of God. Plug in right along. We're in the book of Acts right now, chapter 19, verses 23 to 41. Um, it's about the right in Ephesus. It's good stuff. I love you guys. Thank you for being a part of my time in the Word um, uh, and allowing me to be a part of your time in the Word. It's good, isn't it? I, I just love doing this together. Uh, so uh, Paul is probably wrapping up his time in Ephesus. He's been there for a couple of years now preaching with great success, but uh, obviously uh, that not everybody's going to be happy about that. And so uh, this really interesting riot develops. It is instigated by one man. His name is Demetrius. He's a silversmith. And uh, turns out uh, he makes uh, good money off of the local uh, uh, worship of the goddess Artemis or, or Diana. Now, truly, uh, the Temple of Artemis was in Ephesus. It is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was, by all accounts, magnificent. Um, Ephesus was kind of the center of Artemis worship, Diana worship, because of the location of the temple there. Uh, every spring uh, in Ephesus, there was a, a magnificent festival called uh, Artemision, uh, the, the Artemis Festival. People would come from all over into town. It was springtime. It was beautiful. Artemis was the goddess of spring and fertility. Uh, and so uh, it was, you know, rather wonderful, I suppose, to, to come to Ephesus in the springtime and celebrate. There was drama, I mean, like literal theater performances. There were processions and all kinds of eating and drinking. And of course, with that, people making big money, like Demetrius. Demetrius was a silversmith, and, and he kind of, his thing was to make these little silver uh, replicas of the temple. Kind of like you go to the Washington Monument and you might buy a keychain, you know, that looks like the Washington Monument. You know, that's what he's doing, just little pocket temples and it's big stuff. Uh, he made, made them out of silver. And in, in uh, our archaeological ruins, we have found, I say we like I was there. <laughs> yeah, we found, I was, you know, I dug one up. Uh, no, uh, they find lots of these little um Temples of Artemis. I mean, exactly what we're talking about, but they're typically not silver. They're, they're terracotta. They're made of clay. Uh, we don't find any silver ones because honestly, if there's a silver one laying around, somebody picked it up and melted it down, you know, and and made it into something else. So it's a, that's the kind of thing that would be too valuable, you know, to, to leave laying around. So the silver ones probably don't exist because they got turned into something else, looted and melted down. But at any rate, understand. Uh, there's good historical evidence for everything that's in this passage. Uh, but I think you can understand if you just know how tourism works. And and it's the same then as it is now. I mean, now we got Disney World to go to. But back then, they would go to the Temple of Artemis, you know, and they'd want a souvenir. And uh, so Demetrius, he starts seeing the writing on the wall. You know, Paul's out there telling everybody that little handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And Demetrius makes a lot of money, you know, making handmade gods, you know? And so uh, he, he calls people together and, and, you know, calls, you know, everybody that's got, you know, business interest in this, all those employed in similar trades, you know? So he calls in the other gift shop owners and the fast food people and the hotel people and all the people whose, you know, money, uh, whose financial well-being depends upon, you know, this Artemis worship. And so he really 
you know, just instigates this amazing frenzy. It turns into this gigantic riot. Now, when Demetrius starts talking to people, I mean, he starts out, it's all business, right? Listen, we, we, we're going to lose a lot of money if people start becoming Christians, you know. But then by the time he's talking to people, man, it's not me losing money. It's, it's you know, it's patriotism. You know, it's, it's you know, civic duty. You, you know, it's, it's unity. It's, you know, divine majesty. It's, it's, it's Artemis, you know. I mean, he, he makes it sound so very religious and patriotic, you know. He, he mentioned in his checkbook. Book, you know, when he's trying to rally the crowds, but don't, you know, be mistaken here. It's all about his checkbook. And so it just boils over into this gigantic riot that fills the amphitheater at Ephesus. It's the largest public building in ancient Ephesus, and it's estimated that it would hold something like 24, 25,000 people. So this is gigantic, you know. Why? You know, why such a crowd? Well, understand. There ain't nothing to do in ancient Ephesus, you know. It's not like everybody could stay home in the air condition, you know, and, and watch, you know, Netflix. I mean, there ain't nothing to do. So if there's noise outside, they all go outside and they all end up in the theater and people are yelling one thing and another. And some people are yelling. They don't even know what they're yelling. And, you know, verse 32, I love it says there was all kinds of confusions. And in fact, most people didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Isn't that just people? Uh, honestly, th that's just history. Th that's how history happens. Stuff happens and most people don't even know what happened. I mean, literally. And I'm not saying people are dumb. I'm just saying most of us don't pay a whole lot of attention. I, I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, you know, I'm a news person. I watch a lot of news. I'm a very, I'm really into politics. I, I try not to make that an issue in my ministry. You're never going to know my political opinions because that's not why anybody listens to me. I'm not a pundit. I'm not an expert, but I'm, I read a lot. I read a lot. And sometimes I just, you know, why, you know, why do people do what they do? And I realize, I mean, nobody else is reading. Nobody else is really digging around to, to find out news. You know, they just sort of, you know, they they go on what they overhear at Target and Lowe's, you know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, most people don't know what's going on. So it, it's really just kind of the fact of history. It's, it's called the 1% rule, that 1% of any group can absolutely lead the 99%. Because 99% of people, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening. They don't know why people are upset, but they will go along. You know, it's just kind of it's it's just kind of a fact of human nature that the few can always lead the fuzzy. You know, the the fuzzy minded, the the focused. You know, uh, can lead the fuzzy minded. Uh, and so the one percent rule, the one percent lead the ninety nine percent. You know, it, it's kind of funny, but also as a leader of a church, it, it's kind of staggering to me because it makes me just kind of wonder. I, I wonder on any given Sunday. If the majority of people in, in our congregation even know why we're here, you know, do they? You know, it, it, it just makes me wonder if that 1% rule is, is actually any kind of merit to it, that, that just a few focus-minded people can literally lead the group, then I wonder how many of us it would take to lead our church, you know, to a, a real radical, uh, serious revival, you know, because this would work positively too. You know, if 1% of us would focus, you know, on, on what needs to happen and what God wants to happen, and if we would dedicate ourselves to that, we could make a difference. 
we really could make a difference. The fact is there are so few difference makers in the world and most of them seem to be on the wrong side, you, you know? And so you got this whole amphitheater full, full of people now. Paul tries to go in by saying, Paul, don't you go in there. They're going to kill you. You know, this is kind of about you. I, I know you want to go in there and preach, but, you know, they, they're, they're just going to tear you to pieces. The Jews push forward the dude named Alexander. I, I think the Jews probably in this case are trying to distinguish themselves. Like the Jews want to step forward and go, it ain't us. You know, we love Artemis. We've been here a long time. You know, we're not costing anybody any money. You know, we love you know, Ephesus. You know, they just kind of want to come out and improve their, you know, fealty to their city and, and to, you know, all of this. They're just trying not to get sucked into what the crowd, the mob is trying to now uh, enact in anger against Paul. Finally, the the city manager, the the, the mayor, whatever you want to call him, he steps forward. Now, this mayor, the civic leader, his job is, you know, again, it's all the Roman Empire. Rome rules everything. So if there's a mayor in Ephesus, he's just a puppet, you know, planted by Rome. You know, he's he's a liaison between the city and Rome. And so he just comes out and says, listen, y'all, you know, Paul, these people, they ain't done nothing. They haven't broken any laws. They haven't stolen anything from our temple. They haven't done anything. And if and if you think they have, you should call Flora Templeton Stewart, you know, and go through the proper channels and press charges. But but right now, the only people out of line is you all. And Rome's going to come down here and shut us all down if y'all don't go home. You know, uh, it's just interesting how one man started the whole mess and one man shuts it all down. And again. His appeal is just simply that, y'all. Rome is not going to put up with this kind of foolishness. And if we don't know how to act, they will come down here and show us how to act. You know, so again, it's just that fear of Rome. But but also notice the theme here because it is a theme. Once more, uh, there's this establishment that, that the Christian movement, that Paul and the Christian movement isn't breaking any civic laws. There are no Roman laws. So, so what's more, you have this Roman government leader who basically stands up and says, Paul hasn't done anything wrong. You know, that's why I keep saying, I believe that Luke is preparing this document somehow for the legal defense of Paul, because all of these, you know, legal moments continue to underline Paul's innocence in regard to Roman law. Does that make sense? We'll pick up right here tomorrow. Uh, Acts chapter 20, let's do 12 verses. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. I love all this, you guys. I've read it before, but uh, it's kind of coming alive to me, and I'm enjoying it, and I hope that, uh, that I can help bring it alive for you too. Uh, I love you so much. Have a great day. Uh, enjoy the sunshine, and I'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. Have a good Wednesday.